0: This is Optimal Living Daily, episode 2146, How to Make Life More Pleasurable, by David Kane of raptitude.com, and I'm Justin Mollick, your personal narrator, reading to you every single day of the year. So with that, let's get right to it and start optimizing your life. How to Make Life More Pleasurable, by David Kane of raptitude.com. Throughout my grade school years, I noticed a pattern. Whenever classes started again, sleep became much more enjoyable. It felt like such a gift to discover by peeking at my alarm clock that I had another 18 sweet minutes of blanket time before the alarm went. Each one was a treat. Obviously, sleep became more pleasurable because it became more precious. I was busier and couldn't overindulge in it as I apparently had during summer holidays. I also noticed that whenever the English teacher assigned a novel about people living during scarce times like wars or droughts, my own food tasted better and I found real satisfaction in simple things like potatoes or rice. History class gave me a similar appreciation for tea and spices after hearing about how precious and coveted they were in the West. When you have a little more reverence for the experience itself, a pinch of tea or a few ground peppercorns can make you feel rich and fortunate, even if they came from a bin at Bulk Barn. And why shouldn't they? They still deliver the same pleasure to human taste buds. This effect was always so fascinating to me, how the pleasure we derive from something expands and contracts with its context in our minds. When we're able to view something as an occasional luxury, we get more out of it than when we view it as cheap and abundant, regardless of whether it really is cheap and abundant. Recently, I stopped drinking coffee daily. And now when I do have a cup, I enjoy it much more. It's just as available to me as it always was, but when it's not a ubiquitous part of my experience, the pleasure of it is much greater. This pattern has happened elsewhere too. A year or two ago, I went through a phase when I always had wine in the house. Now it's back to special occasion status and is much more enjoyable. Sweets and desserts too. The more occasional they become, the better they taste and the less I crave them. It's made me realize that there's something to be gained in deliberately limiting our pleasures, not for any moral purpose or to conserve money, health, or the environment, but simply because making our pleasures more occasional makes them more pleasurable. For example, we'd probably derive more pleasure from eating if most of our meals weren't delicious. When the typical meal is delicious, A basic eaten for sustenance meal becomes an annoyance and few meals are special. When most meals are basic, the pleasure of simply eating has a chance to come through and delicious meals, ones with prominent salt, fat, or sugar, become pleasurable in a way they can't be when they're the norm. I know I enjoyed movies and music more when there was no unlimited, always-on streaming service piping them into my home. When you had to wait for your favorite song to come on the radio again, or physically travel to a store and buy the album, that song delivered greater pleasure than it does today coming through Spotify at your command. When you had to wander the carpeted aisles of Blockbuster Video to select which little box of entertainment would define your night, you valued it more and got more out of it. When pleasures are more occasional, they're more pleasurable, and that's reason enough to limit how often we indulge in them. Of course, all the usual reasons we exercise restraint to save money, time, health, and the planet only add to the rewards. That's been my experience anyway, but I don't think I'm an exception. Along with most people listening to this, I live in what is probably, as seen from the outside, a very strange bubble of human existence post-World War II Western consumer society. In this strange bubble, Enormous marketing departments have had many decades to figure out how to deliver as large a volume of pleasure-inducing substances and services into our homes and routines as we will accept. This relentless pressure to take on treat upon treat, year upon year, has pushed the typical level of pleasure consumption to a point far beyond what is actually most pleasurable for most of us. Time travelers from cultures unlike ours would be baffled by our obsessive and self-defeating relationship to pleasure products. They might find it absurd that millions of us claim we just aren't ourselves without a morning cup of hot extract from the roasted seeds of an exotic East African berry, or that sugar, which used to cost a fortune per pound, is so abundant in the food supply that it's difficult to keep dangerous amounts of it from entering our bodies. For those of us who were born in this strangely pleasure-focused bubble, it's hard to move away from familiar pleasures without believing it will be some kind of sacrifice. I'll be healthier, wealthier, and will live longer, but life will be less good. But so far, whenever I do move that way, the opposite happens. The more occasionally I indulge in something made just for pleasure, the more worthwhile it is when I do, and the better life is, in every other respect, is cheaper, safer, healthier, freer. It just seems like a better deal, and it's there if we want it. You just listened to the post titled, How to Make Life More Pleasurable by David Kane of raptitude.com. Thank you to David. And a fun fact, blockbuster video, which he mentioned in this article, wasn't my first real job and where I walked into an armed robbery in progress. Another story for another day. I do have some comments about this article, but I was taking a look at tomorrow's episode and there is some overlap that I think I'll talk about then. So I'm gonna leave it here for today and you'll have to tune in tomorrow to see how these puzzle pieces fit. So have a great rest of your day and hope to see you tomorrow where you'll hear about those puzzle pieces and where your optimal life awaits.